try that again. Welcome to Vintage Church. My name's Nathan. It's so good to see you all today. Man, this is, uh, we've had a, a fun time today. We're moving into the new school. We're still kind of getting situated here, so thank you for your patience. Um, we didn't get to run this before service like we normally did, so Shane, that was 100% my fault. You guys can all just look at me. That was not you. That was 100% me. I was wrong. I apologize. I've been married for 16 years, so those words just roll easily off my tongue now. Uh, I haven't had a lot of practice at that, um, but I am glad to see everybody today. As Andrew said, uh, after the service, I will be out in the guest suite. Hopefully my wife will be able to join me. She's back with kids right now, but we'd love to meet you if you're new today. Have a special gift for you on your way out. And also, as you just heard, we have our Serve Team Social coming up in the next few weeks. I do just want to encourage you that if you've been coming to Vintage for a while and you haven't joined a Serve Team yet, you definitely should. Uh, you should because it's honestly what's best for you. In, in the Serve Team uh, area, you're going to get to build real relationships with people. That's where people are going to get to know you. We, we have a great time in here worshiping Jesus. I hope that I give you something that's meaningful, helpful for your life and following Jesus. But honestly, it's as we do other things together that we get to, to know people and to be known by people. And so I want to encourage you to do that. We do have a few huge impact opportunities with Vintage Kids. We'd love to have some more of you helping out back there and serving those kids. Man, you get a, you get a really good opportunity to start a young person's life trajectory in the right place. In fact, my fifth grade Sunday school teacher is in the room, so I'm going to highlight him since he's here. Go ahead and put your hand up, RC. Yeah, right there in the back. Good looking man. And listen, it, it takes a village, so it took a lot more than him uh, to get me here, but he was a, a key part of it. And listen, you have the opportunity to do the same for kids every single week right back there. And also, as you can see, we're a mobile location, and so if you're like, man, I'm not ready to lead or teach anybody, but I can move some stuff around, we'd love to have you join our setup and takedown team. Um, so you can be thinking about that, and we're going to be reaching out to you, but, but once you go, man, I'm going to join that team, you should come to this. It's going to be an awesome party um, for all of our serve team members. So with that, that. I'm going to jump into today's message. I'm really, really excited about this new series that we're in called Unmistakable. It's going to be a little bit of a shorter series than what we sometimes do, but we're going to spend four weeks in the book of 1 John and uh, see what he has to say to us. Because how I many know the Bible may have been written uh, to a certain group of people at a specific time in history, the Bible is still written for you and me. And so we believe in the power of the Word of God here, and so we spend a lot of time in it. This one is on 1 John. So just a little bit of background and context. If you know me well, you know that I like context. I like to know the why behind everything. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of the context behind the book of John. So first of all, uh, who was it written to? Who was it written to? It was written, uh, we believe John was one of the leaders of the church at Ephesus. He also was an evangelist in an entire region and had a sort of leadership and apostolic voice into multiple churches. Uh, so you see him speaking to places like the church of Smyrna and, and Sardis and Philadelphia. This same John also wrote uh, the book of Revelation. And in that book, in the third and fourth chapter, you see John sort of delivering from Jesus some warnings to seven different churches. And so we think that when he wrote these letters, and this letter in particular, 1 John, that it was primarily to the church of Ephesus, but we know that it circulated all around. And so John's just trying to help provide some leadership to those churches during that time. And this book was written like many other of the early epistles. Most of them were written by, uh, by Paul, but this one written by John. And it was, it was written to help address and speak to some very real issues that were happening in the church. Some of Paul's epistles are more written towards the leaders of the church. In this case, John's writing to the church themselves. So they're in this situation where the light had come into the world. 
They all had the light, so to speak. But they were still struggling with darkness. And they had a lot of questions, John's audience did. And I think there's some of the same questions that, that we have. Like, what does it really mean to follow Jesus? What does it really mean to follow Jesus? I was uh, sharing my story with a family in the church the other night. And as I was kind of walking through that story, you know, I get to this moment in my life where the way I'd say it is, I went from being a believer in Jesus to being a follower in Jesus, and there is a difference. There is a difference. You can believe. The Bible says in another place, even the demons believe and fear and tremble. Believing sometimes is not the, the totality of the issue. The question is, what are you going to do with it? So John's writing to people who are trying to figure out, man, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And by the way, what does it mean to even be saved? What is that? Because salvation in the old covenant felt a little different than it did now in the new covenant with Jesus. And so there's just a lot of questions. And honestly, I've lost count of how many times people have come to me and said, Pastor Nate, how do I really know that I'm saved? How can I really be sure of my salvation? And some people will tell me, man, I've really blown it. I've really messed up. I've done a lot of stupid things. I don't even know if God could ever love me. And I have to tell you, I've asked some of those same questions of myself at different points in my life. In fact, I think the reality is those are questions that every person, hear me, every person has to wrestle with. Even the atheist, at some point, every person evaluates, I wonder what happens next. How many of you remember like as a kid the first time that you laid awake at night and you were thinking about forever? And you're like, ah, this is scary. What does that mean? What does never end mean? Yeah, I remember that. I remember many nights like that. I still have nights like that. What is this? We all have this sort of wondering inside of us. And I think, I really believe that this, this, call, this call to ask these kinds of questions about eternity is how God leads us back to him. He actually puts these questions in our hearts. What is next and why do we do what we do now? And how does now relate to then? I think this is part of how God draws all people unto him. Given the chance to sur surrender and submit starts with asking good questions like, what happens next? How do I follow Jesus? What does it mean to be saved? So here they are. Here, they, here are these people, and they, they have this fear of death, and they have, they're wondering about what's going to happen next, and how do we follow Jesus, and all of this stuff. And, and then John comes along. He says, well, I'm going I'm to write to you a letter, and I'm going to try to help you know how to live now in light of what happens next. And so also in 1 John, he's also writing to correct some thinking. Because there were some people coming around in this, this new uh, sort of expression of Judaism, which is what Christianity is. It's a, it was sort of a new expression of Judaism. And there were some people coming around, and they were teaching some things that weren't true. Have you ever heard something not true? And then when you find out the truth, you're like, I'm glad I heard the truth on that. That's what John's trying to do right here. He's saying, hey, hey, hey. There's some stuff that's being said. So people were teaching some really wild stuff. They were saying, some of them were saying that Jesus was like the, the lesser God. He's the, he's the little G God. Some were saying, oh, he was just a man, but now he's become God. Other people were saying, oh, that God uh, from, the, from, from the old covenant, that was a, a different God. And now Jesus is the new God, but he's completely different from Yahweh. And, and, and now that, that, that old God was mean, and this new God is nice. And there's all these kinds of things. People were preaching once they heard about grace, and they're saying, 
saying, oh, well, actually, you should sin more so that you can experience more grace. They're telling people this. Crazy. So John's coming along and saying, that's not what this is about either. Paul had to deal with the same kind of false teaching there a little bit. And so John's in the middle of all of this, and he's trying to correct their thinking. Because how many know, when you accept a false view of Jesus, or you accept an untrue gospel or misunderstand who Jesus is, Here's the fact of it, you will reap the fruit of that deception. We do. When we believe things that are wrong, those things produce fruit in our hearts and then in our lives, and then they affect the people around us. So John writes this letter to first century believers, and I believe it's good for us today to teach us how to live and how to enjoy Christ and each other and live as followers of Jesus. You with me so far? Just a little background. You're like, this is going to be the longest message ever. I don't think so. I hope not. We'll move fast from here. Here's the big idea today. Here's the big idea today. In Christ, in Jesus, we can find freedom from the penalty of sin. But that doesn't mean that we've been delivered from all the natural consequences of sin. Sin still has consequences today, even if, even if Jesus has forgiven you for eternity. And this is an ongoing process that we call sanctification. Sanctification is different than salvation. Sanctification is how we pursue Jesus, how we pursue living like Jesus, and how we relate to one another as we try to follow. So over the next four weeks, we're going to go through this book, and we're going to take a look at the life of a follower of Jesus. I want to jump right in here to 1 John 1, 1, and we're going to just work through some of these verses here in this first chapter of 1 John or 1 John, however you would like to say it. Verse 1 says this. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. See, what John is doing first is he's kind of making a case and he's saying, hey, I walked with this man. I was with Jesus. I talked with him. You know, we sing that song, oh, he walks with me, he talks with me, right? John actually did in the flesh, in person. So he's saying, I was there with Jesus when he taught on the Beatitudes. I was, I was there at the Mount Transfiguration. I was there at, at Galilee. I was there in the Garden of Gethsemane. I was there actually at the cross. I was the only one. He doesn't tell us this here, but the only one who stayed with him at the cross. And then I saw the empty tomb. And then I saw the ascension. And so John is coming and saying, hey, uh, I want you to know you should listen to me because I was with him. And I'm going to tell you what he thinks and how he wants us to live. See, John followed Jesus around and patterned his life after him. And now he's trying to help others do the same. To be honest with you, that's, that's the call of every Christian, and that's definitely the call of a pastor. I had coffee with someone else a couple weeks ago, and I said, hey, listen, this is all I'm going to ever ask of you. Follow me as I follow Christ. If you think I'm not following Christ, don't follow. And come and tell me, because I'm not perfect. But follow me as I follow Christ. And that's what John is saying here. He goes on, verse 2 through 4, to say this. He says, life was revealed, and we have seen it. And we testify, and we declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. We're writing you these things so that our joy may be complete. Here John's saying, Jesus taught us how to experience 
life and life more abundantly. And that's what I want for all of you, he's saying. And as your pastor here, I'm saying, I want that for you too. I want that for us. I want this. And, and I love that John says, so that our joy may be complete. He's saying this isn't about me and my joy, and it's not about you and your joy. It's about our joy, that our joy may be complete. Going on in verse 5, he continues and says this, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. You see, this verse tells us that God is not just the creator of light, but God is light. What does that mean? What does it mean for God to be light? I think one of the things it means is that God is purity. That his motives and his intentions towards us are always good, are always pure, are always true, are always dependable. This is light. He is truth. He is light. We talked about it last week. He is love. So we can trust his promises. I think it also means that because God is light, he doesn't need light on a thing. God sees clearly. He sees clearly into your life, into your heart, into my life, into my heart. Nothing is hidden from him. He sees where we're going. He's planning things out, and he's inviting us to be a part of it. The big challenge for you and me, or maybe just me. Sometimes I preach, I think, maybe it's just me, but I don't think it is, Andrew. I think it's all of us. The big challenge for all of us is to submit and surrender. Those are not fun words, are they? You need to submit. Who likes to hear that? Not this guy. You need to surrender. Who likes to hear that? No one. Our Harker Heights location is full of military people. You say the word surrender and then they get a little twitch. Like, what do you mean surrender? I'm like, surrender to anything. When they have the uniform on, I hope they don't. But in their hearts and in your hearts and in my hearts, I hope we do. You don't have to raise your hands for this, but I will. How many of you have ever been just dead wrong about something? Just dead wrong. I love it. Hands go up anyway. I just have to be honest, Pastor. I know you said you didn't have to, but I've been wrong. You know, the more you repent, the easier it is to just go. It's actually freedom to just go, I was wrong. I was wrong. I was wrong. And then you get confronted about it. And you're like so sure that you're right. I mean, and it could be something silly like, you know, what did he just say in the show you're watching? He said this. I don't think that's what he said. Yeah, he did. No, he didn't. Back it up. Okay. Whoop. I was wrong. Even in silly stuff. But how many know, when you get confronted about something you're wrong on and you don't think you're wrong, you just like looking, where's the bag of concrete I'm going to pour around my feet? I am immovable because I'm right. That's the way that it can be for us. But the bending and the breaking and the yielding, especially when we set our feet, especially when we posture our hearts, can be so incredibly painful to be broken. Pride is strong. Pride is strong, my friends, and it has deep roots and long hooks. Pride can go far into your soul and tie you up and hold you. And ultimately, the ultimate pride that we all have is the sin of the flesh that fights against the righteousness of God that says, I'm going to do what I want to do. And God the whole time is saying, well, you can. I've given you that choice. But if you would just follow me, even your joy would be complete. Even your life would be lived abundantly. We've talked about this before, and so I want to look at this because John's telling us that light came into the darkness. And how many know when the light comes into the darkness, the darkness goes away. 
So John's trying to talk to these early believers about this three-letter word that no one likes to talk about, but in church we talk about all the time, and that word is sin. And we kind of define it like this for today. There's a lot of layers to defining sin, but I'd say for today, let's call it this. Sin is any action or any attitude that falls short of God's standard. Another way to say it is sin is it's an archery term that means to miss the mark. So we've fallen off of our aim. That's what sin is. So when we sin and we fall short of God's standard, again, like I said, we reap the fruit of that. We reap the bad fruit of that. We miss what God has for us. And I think sometimes we don't know how important that is. Because we don't know all the plans that God has for us. What I do know is that if we follow him in obedience, we will experience the good things that he has for us. And if we don't, we will miss out. And I'll tell you, sometimes when I'm really sitting praying and God's evaluating my heart, the Holy Spirit is going through me, I I sense sometimes like that disappointment, like, man, what all might have I already missed out on that God had for me? And it's that thought that makes me something rise up inside of me and say, I don't know what I've missed out on before, but I don't want to ever miss out on anything that God has for me again. But when we sin, when we sin, we miss. We miss the opportunity. We miss the mark. We sow bad fruit instead of good fruit. I'll be honest with you, I don't want to live life that way. And listen, I also don't want to be one of these hell and brimstone, hellfire and brimstone preachers that comes and tells you every week that if you don't just live perfect from Monday through Friday, you're going to split hell wide open. That's not the message that I'm coming to tell you. But I I do believe that sin is real and it affects every single one of us. And, And I want to help you and help me to follow Jesus and overcome it. Because there is a truth to this. Those who endure to the end will be saved. Those who overcome will be saved. And the only way we can do that is by fixing our eyes on the person of Jesus, the finished work of the cross, and allowing the Holy Spirit, his gift to us, to empower us to follow him. Sounds like I'm preaching hard. It's because I'm preaching to me too. You know, I don't just do this for you. This is for me too. I'm preaching to my own heart. But in order to be overcomers, In order to overcome sin, we first have to identify it. I mean, no, you can't overcome something if you don't know what the problem is. That's called ignorance. That's called blind spots. That's called deception. You can't do anything with what you don't know about. So you got to know. So let's look at this. I want to look at kind of three categories of sin, and then we'll talk about some good and bad ways that we respond to this. Number one, we have the sin of commission. This is a sin that you commit. This is something that you actively do that is sinful. Then you have sins of omission. And these are sins where we omit doing something, where we don't do what we're supposed to do. That's a sin of omission. And then you have number three, the sin of disposition. And this has to do with the attitude or the the spirit in which you do what you do. Sometimes the sin of commission are easily recognizable. And if that's where you struggle, everybody knows it (laughs) because it's out there. But sins of omission, they can be more difficult to spot and, frankly, more difficult to acknowledge inside of our own hearts because usually it's happening because of ignorance or disobedience, sometimes both. So we don't do what we're supposed to do. James, which we just came out of a series on James, James 4.17 says, so it's sin to know the good and yet not do it. That's a sin of omission. And then there's the sin of disposition, which I mentioned. And and these are kind of the most difficult. Here's a sin of disposition. I'm standing up on the outside, but I'm sitting down on the inside. You've heard that one before? 
this is a sin of disposition where we're, we say, all right, I'll, I'll do the thing, but I don't want to do the thing. It's like the way we approach giving. Like, listen, one of, our, one of our tenets of giving comes from the Bible, which says God loves a cheerful giver. So I don't want to twist your arm into giving to God. I want you to give cheerfully because you go, man, I give back to God because God gave to me. And when I give to him, he returns back to me and, and he, he'll protect the things that I have and he'll preserve what he's given me. And my heart will be right because my money doesn't have control over me. But listen, if you don't have a cheerfulness in your heart to go, every good and perfect thing I have came from Jesus so I can easily give part of it back to him, then guess what? I don't want you to give. You will do it for the wrong reasons. It'll be a sin actually of disposition go, I don't want to do that, twisting my arm and making me. No, no, no. It's all for your benefit. It's all for your own blessing. Here's the other big problem with sin is this, that we can receive a new nature and we can surrender to Jesus. And man, this is where it really gets tough. And the longer you've been following Jesus, the harder you know that this is. But, but, But you get this new nature, but the new nature doesn't fully eliminate the old nature. Paul talks about this a lot, where old nature fights against our new nature. In Romans 7, he goes into this whole discourse. He's like, man, I know the things I should do, but I do the things that I shouldn't do. I want to do this, but instead I do that. The the spirit wages war against the flesh, and the flesh against the spirit. Who can save me from this body of death, he calls it. People think I'm dramatic. You should read Paul once in a while. Who will save me from this bag of death known as my body? And then he says, thanks be to who? Thanks be to Jesus Christ, the author, perfecter of our faith. But how many know it's a real battle? You got two, you got two things. Once you give your life to Jesus and you say yes and he's, he fills you with his spirit, there's a part of you that wants to do right, that wants to follow him. And then there's the other part of you that's going, yeah, but I just kind of want to go do this instead. And it's a constant battle. It's a constant war that we have to fight. So with that, I want to look at three responses to sin. Three responses to sin. Three different ways we can respond to sin. Number one, we can try and hide our sin. We can try and hide our sin. I think everybody at some point does that. We can try to hide it. There's nothing really new about this. This actually goes all the way back to the first sin that we know of, at least in human, human, human form, that was ever committed, Adam and Eve. They sinned against God, did what he told them not to do, and what they do? They went hiding. They wanted to hide themselves. They wanted to hide their sin. They wanted to hide from God. But of course, 1 John 1, 5 says that God is light and there's no darkness in him. Uh, 1 Peter tells us that when we were saved, we were called out of darkness into the light. 1 Thessalonians 5, 5 says that we are children of the light. So what do you think that means we need in our life? We need the light of God. We need the light of God to shine deep into our hearts. Light is a cleanser. We need the light. I touched on this last week when I said you're, you're only as sick as your secrets. And this week I met with three different people who shared some of their secrets and said, man, I want the sanitizing of the light. So I'm going to tell you what I'm struggling with. I'm going to tell you what I've been dealing with. And let me tell you something. Just bringing something from like the darkness of backstage into the light enables you to fight it more. Just that one action of deciding I'm not going to stay over here. In the darkness, that's what I'm doing. Do you guys see me very well over here? See me a little bit. When you come into the light, now you know who you're dealing with, what you're dealing with. There is power in confession. So get some stuff out. Bring it into the light like we talked about last week. And what I love about light 
is that you, you don't have to simultaneously deal with the darkness when you bring the light. The light itself will begin to deal with the darkness. Let me know when the sun comes up in the morning, light appears and darkness is gone. And the more that we can walk in the light, in the truth of the person of Jesus, the will, the way, and the word of God, according to what he tells us in scripture, and according to the yielding to the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin, the more we can walk in that light, the less darkness we have to contend with. I think sometimes the problem is, you've heard me say this before, you'll hear me say it again, we spend so much time, effort, and energy trying to fight the darkness instead of trying to become the light. By the way, it's always easier to criticize the darkness in someone else than it is to be the light yourself. So keep that in mind before you talk about other people's darkness. Your call is to be the light. Be the light. 1 John says this in verse 6, 1 John 1, if we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. Verse 8, he continues, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. All right, so no one's perfect. Thank you. In verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Unfortunately, when we live as dishonest people and we pretend that we have nothing going on, we pretend that we have nothing to hide from, we pretend that there's no darkness inside of us, we don't actually know that we need the light. And so in that sense, we keep Jesus and some of his greatest blessings at bay. And we lose the intimacy with God and we lose the intimacy that comes with other people. If we could just be people of the light, if we could just be people who walk in the light, which means being authentic, being honest, being truthful, like we talked about with our serve team this morning, like doing what you say and graciously saying what you mean, being that kind of person, we can maintain the intimacy that God has designed for us with other people. In verse 7, it says this, though, if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. You know what my least favorite word is in the whole Bible? I need a, I'm going to have to start bringing a T.D. Jakes rag up here, man. I'm getting, it's hot in here today. You know what my least favorite word is in the whole Bible? It's two letters. It's the word if. If. If, if, did you see what that said? If we walk in the light. When you go through and actually read the red words in the gospels of Jesus, I did this one time and then I just sat back and like the fear of the Lord came over me because I was going through with my little pen and every time I got to the word if, I just circled it. If you do this, if you believe, if you continue, if you, if you, if you do this, if you do that, whoa. It's a lot, of, a lot of contingencies in here. Sometimes people think, oh man, in the Old Testament, they had 10 commandments to live by. And now we have none, which isn't exactly true, but it's sort of true and that's for another day. But if you go through the commandments of Jesus, where he tells us to do stuff, and if you don't, you're gonna get closer to 40 commandments of Jesus, of things that he tells us to do. But it all starts with walking in the light. We may not like it, we may not like it, but there are qualifying statements like this in the New Testament. And I think that the converse of what he's saying here is true. So he's saying, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. So what is the opposite of that? If we walk in darkness, if we stay hidden, if we remain where we are and we tell no one, we don't have fellowship 
with one another. We isolate ourselves. And that becomes a self-perpetuating nightmare. I know some of you have lived through it. So have I. It doesn't work. But it also goes on to say, if we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So if we don't walk in the light, there's a problem. We're not giving to God what's broken in us so that he can make it right. I'll just say this quickly and I'll continue to move on. But in my role as a pastor, I've seen so many people, so many people who would rather make peace in the dark than to do what it takes to be in the light, that it costs them relationship after relationship after relationship, and they disconnect from people, and then they disconnect from the church, and eventually they disconnect from God altogether. And it starts right here. I don't want to be in the light. Listen, we are a community of faith that values the light, that values authenticity. I walk with many men in this room who could come to me at any point and say, Nathan, I see this darkness And though I might not like it, I will be grateful for it because I do not want any part of me stuck in the dark. I want to be in the light, and I want it to be in community. Proverbs 28, 13 says this, and then I'm moving on to number two, and the next two will go a lot faster. The one who conceals his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. Let me just, by show of hands, who would like to receive the mercy of God? I would. I hope you would. We gain that by confessing. So this gets us to number two. This is another way we can respond. We can hide it or we can acknowledge it. We can acknowledge our sin. The Apostle John was dealing with believers who claimed to be in the light, but in actuality they were still walking in darkness and refusing to bring things into the light. Listen, true Christians are not afraid to confess their sins. I'm just going to tell you that. When you follow Jesus and you go, I really, really want what he has for me. It gets easier and easier to go, yeah, I messed that up. That's why it was real easy for me to say, I was wrong. I apologize. It's all my fault. Because I do it all the time. I'm a professional repenter, I think. (laughs) I just have to. I just, I can't stay in this place of knowing that I violated something, whether it was with God or with a person. And not do something about it. Verses 7 and 9 here say this in 1 John. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from sin. We just read that. And then it says this. Here's the good news. If we confess our sins, he is faithful. And he is righteous to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here's the dilemma. Here's the big question. Uh, Why would we say, God, forgive my sins if he already knows? Because we have to bring it into the light. Let me tell you about a couple forms of forgiveness really quickly. I know there's some uh, people that teach grace a little different way, and they would say you never need to ask forgiveness, you never need to repent. I think that's nonsense. You absolutely do. But there's two forms of forgiveness. First of all, it's true that the death of Jesus and the resurrection from the tomb extends forgiveness of sins to all people at all times. And when you say yes, your sins are forgiven. That's true. But it's also true that we need to continue to ask the Lord to forgive us of our sins so that we can maintain fellowship with him. Listen, I'll I'll tell you this. Like, I'm married to my wife. When I sin against her, we don't stop being married. But how many know that marriage is not the same after that violation as it was before until it's made right again? I posted a video on Facebook last night. I watched a message from an influential man uh, in my life over the years. Oh, God bless you, sister. Appreciate you. And he was talking about 
he was talking about what Jesus actually experienced on the cross. What he actually experienced, like what happened on the cross. And, and I encourage you to go find it and, and watch it. Find me on Facebook, friend me, whatever, and, and watch the video. It's, it's, it's an incredibly deep perspective into what Jesus experienced on the cross. But the, the point that he makes that I believe is so true is that when, when Jesus was in the garden and he said, if, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. I don't think the cup he was asking to pass was just the physical torture and torment that he was about to experience. Listen, that took an enormous amount of heroism to say yes to that. But listen to me, many people have said yes to that and given their lives. Many people have given their lives for Jesus and said yes to that. What I believe Jesus experienced that sometimes I think we miss is he knew that once he took on the sins of the world, his relationship to the Father was broken. And for three hours, he hung on a cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't that God forsook him. He's quoting from Psalm. But he's, he's, he's naming. There is this separation that for all of eternity has never happened between the Father and the Son. And Jesus is saying, this is more than I can bear. And if you've studied the crucifixion, you know that he didn't actually die the way people normally died on the cross. His heart actually exploded while he was on the cross. He didn't drag on like many people did, suffocating over time. His heart exploded. Literally died of a broken heart. And I believe part of that pressure was Jesus knew that this uninhibited, this unbroken fellowship with the Father was the most important thing to him. It was how he was able to be both God and man and live without sin because of an unbroken connection with the Father. And one of the things I think that we miss sometimes, and this is why we view things the way we do, is that we don't recognize sometimes that our sin can actually grieve the Holy Spirit and cause a, a bit of separation to occur. I'm not saying every time you sin that if you were to die in that moment, you're going to hell. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying that you, you now remove yourself a little bit from the blessing of God from the word of God. You're now out on your own a little bit more and you're missing what he has for you. And church, I don't want that for you. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for our kids. So I want us to really grasp this, that staying close and connected to the Father means just being honest, taking the stuff we do wrong and getting it out there, asking for that forgiveness, being in right standing with God. I want to talk to you very quickly because there's a couple words we've talked about. And these will be things you could study in great detail. There's many books written on them, so uh, there's a lot more to it than what I'm about to say, but it's not less. And we're going to talk about this, justification, just for a moment. Justification is where our sin of rejecting Christ is blotted out by the blood and sacrifice of Jesus. People have said, in a sense, justification means it's just as if I've never sinned. And I, I think it's, it goes so much beyond that. The justification is also being brought into a family of God, being made right so that you can stand as part of the 
family of God and people who follow Yahweh and have for thousands of years. But justification is something that you can't do on your own. This is what Jesus does for you. And then after you've been delivered from the penalty of sin, but you haven't been delivered from all the temporal consequences of sin, there's this next process of sanctification that we as believers have to embrace. And sanctification takes place over time as we repent from our sins and become more like Jesus. That's why we need to always confess, always keep going, always keep growing so that we can become more like him. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that those who call upon his name are predestined to become like him. And this is the process in which that happens by confessing, by being honest, by being real, by keep coming back. Just like if I violate something between me and my wife, I have to come back and make it right. Not so that we can be married again. That's not what's happening, but so that we can be in right standing with one another and be who we're supposed to be and do the things we're supposed to do and walk in the freedom and the love that we experience when there's no light between us, when the light is just on us. That's why confession is so important. And I want to tell you, I do think that spiritual maturity can be measured by the distance between when sin occurs and how quickly you repent. I'll say it again. Spiritual maturity is measured by the distance between when sin occurs and how quickly you repent. You're going to have to do it, so just embrace it. The faster you make that shift, the faster you confess, the faster you get right, the better off you are. I'm going to close with number, number three here. This one will go very quickly. Number three, I want to tell you, church, you can actually conquer sin. I'm not saying you can conquer all of it. I'm not saying you can become totally perfect. We've talked about before Christian perfectionism as math, right? Get better at first grade, now you can do fifth grade, then you can do tenth grade. You become perfect in small ways as you grow, but you can absolutely conquer sin. 1 John 2.1 says this, my little children, I'm writing you these things so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Listen, you don't have to be subject to the tyranny of sin. If you've got hurts, habits, and hangups in your life that are causing separation in your relationships between maybe you and your spouse, or you and a friend, or you and someone else, or maybe you're not quite ready yet to take that step and even join this church because of something that's happened somewhere else. Maybe there's something that needs to be made right. Maybe there's something that needs to be brought into the light. I believe that we can live victoriously. And I think John tells us how to do that in chapter 2, but of course you'll have to come back next week for that part. I know today was heavy, but there's a lot of victory for us as we follow Jesus. And again, we're going to get into that next week. As for the question of your own salvation, how do you know? Well, a lot of people debate this. Did God choose you? Did you choose God? Can you lose it like you lose your car keys? Here's what I'm going to tell you I've come to believe about this. Heard a, a great preacher by the name of J. Vernon McGee. Maybe three of y'all in the room ever heard of him. He said this one time, and I thought, that makes so much sense. He said, I believe in the eternal security of the believer. And I believe in the eternal insecurity of the unbeliever. So cue the journey song, don't stop believing. That's what I believe. You keep believing, active belief. You keep following, active following. You're secure in Jesus. That's all I know. And if you don't, and if you won't, think your future is insecure. Think your future is insecure. So the question is, are you a believer or not? Do you want to follow or not? 
That's the question. Go ahead and bow your heads with me as we pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord. Sometimes your word cuts us open and sometimes it breathes light and life, but it's always what we need. It's always right on time. And it is good. It's good to correct us, to exhort us, to encourage us. God, I'm thankful for it. And Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice. We touched on it today, but God, we thank you that you came in human form, humbled yourself with the humility of humanity, left your throne in heaven to become like us, to face what we face, to be what Hebrews calls our forerunner, to go before us so that now we have somebody who already did it that we can follow, that will give us the same power that you had. Lord, I'm thankful for the gift of grace. I'm thankful for the gift of faith. And I'm thankful for the power of the Holy Spirit and the community that you've placed us in. I love you. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message. You can stay connected with us at Vintage.Church or on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. At Vintage, we believe church is more than a place or a weekend activity. It's a spiritual family where Jesus is the center of our lives personally and our relationships collectively. If you're in the Liberty Hill area, we would love to have you join us this week. You can learn more about us, our service time, and plan your visit by visiting Vintage.Church slash Liberty Hill. We hope to see you soon.